Good morning again, everyone. We're so glad that you're with us here at Lakeshore. Hello, Smyrna campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're with us. Anybody that's connected with us online, we're so happy, happy that you found us online today. Uh, I love that video clip. I, I can remember doing some notes like that uh, in grammar school. Uh, I didn't do them later on in life, but, but you do still have that little bit of a, a worry, don't you, when you, you feel like you're beginning to like someone a little more. You want to be sure how they feel about you. But isn't it great that we don't even have to guess when it comes to God's love for us? And I'm so glad that we can uh, have absolute confidence in that. There was a lady who, uh, after she woke up, she told her husband, I just dreamed that you gave me a pearl necklace for Valentine's Day. What do you think it means? And he looked at her eyes and said lovingly, you'll know tonight. So later that night, he gets home from work, and he's got a small package in his hand, and he, he gives her the package, and she's just delighted, and she opens it up, and here's what she finds, a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. We're in a series called Love Does. And in this series, we've been talking about what God's love does for us, but also then the effect that it has on us. And when we learn to live it out, how we looked at what love does, what we do because of love and our relationships with other people. Uh, in this series, we focused on the highest and holiest kind of love that is talked about in Scripture, which is agape love. And here's the problem with agape love for us and our culture, and that is we don't have any word, adjective, descriptive term that is adequate for agape love. I mean, we have to talk about it. We have to dig into it. We have to spend some time with it because this concept is not normal or natural for us and our culture, the way we use the word love, the way we talk about love. It, it's different. Today I entitled the message, Audacious Love, because I like the word audacious. I just, I like saying it. I like hearing it. I like reading it. Audacious, because it's a word, it doesn't adequately describe agape love, but it's one descriptive term that we could apply to agape love. Audacious carries with it the idea that this is not ordinary, this is extreme, this is radical, this causes you to do crazy stuff, right? Now, haven't we all done some crazy things in the name of love? Haven't we all uh, done some things that, uh, without feeling that emotion, that, that drive, that, 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 that feeling of, of wanting to please the other person and, and, and get the attention of the other person, we wouldn't have done some of the things we did. I know when I first started dating my wife, Sue Ann, I pursued her. I, I aggressively pursued Sue Ann. I knew before she knew that we were going to be married. You see, I knew it when I met her, but she had no clue, all right? In fact, she was not interested in me at all at first. So... Because I felt this audacious love for her, I wanted to do whatever it took to pursue her, to be able to have that relationship with her. Now, that probably wasn't purely audacious agape love. Uh, there were probably more of the emotional sides of things connected to that, that, that agape love goes deeper than those things. But it isn't it great to know that God has audacious Agape love for every one of us. 
So much so that it caused him to do crazy, radical things to pursue us, to have a relationship with us. And that's really what I want to focus on today is this audacious love of God. And there's a passage, 1 John chapter 4. You'll be turning there, pulling it up on your smartphone or tablet. Smart, uh, we'll put it on the screen too. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. There is this passage there. By the way, the whole letter of 1 John is a great letter on love. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, they spend, uh, John spends a lot of time focusing on love and what it means to love with agape love and what God's agape love for us is like, how it's lived out. Uh, and, and the Gospel of John has more of that theme too. So John seemed to be one of those authors that that was uh, a dominant theme for him as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write Scripture. And, and he was called the apostle whom Jesus loved. So he had a unique relationship with Jesus too, right? So we know this was, this was something that he, he felt deeply about and wanted us to know more deeply what God meant by it. And in 1 John 4, beginning with verse 7, he says this. First of all, he starts, Dear friends, this letter is written to Christians, to brothers and sisters in Christ. And the way he addresses his brothers and sisters is, Dear Friends. And this word translated dear is one of great affection for someone, okay? It's not agape love, but it's a great affection as a friendship with people. So that's a beginning indicator of how we ought to have relationships with each other, right? Your friendship ought to be dear to me, and, and my friendship ought to be dear to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear friends, he says, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So I want to go a little deeper into understanding this audacious love that John is talking about in this passage. And there's four C's we're going to talk about about this audacious love. The first one is this. The first C is the command to love. The command to love to love he begins this portion of, of the letter by saying dear friends let us love one another here's the problem we look at the translation let us as a gentle kind suggestion right let us be kind let us love one another the problem is in the original language that's not what it means it means this is a command from God that we do this let's love one another the way we're supposed to the way God intends us to. Now, the reason that's such a big deal is because we always tend to revert back to the American cultural idea of love, which is it's emotionally tied, right? It, it is emotionally driven. It, it, and when we feel that emotion towards someone, it's easy to love them, right? 
you're feeling loving, you're feeling uh, loved by them or that you love them and, and that makes it easier to do nice things for them and even do extravagant things sometimes. We just had Valentine's Day. It's a huge holiday around the world. Lots of money spent on candies and flowers and all that stuff. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to express love. But that's a little easier to do when you feel like doing it. What he's doing here is commanding us to love one another. And a command is not based on whether or not you feel like doing it or not. Right? There are moments, sometimes longer than others, where you don't feel emotionally like acting out love toward someone that you ought to be loving with. When the kid gets on your last nerve, right? When the husband threw the clothes on the floor again, when the basket was right beside where he threw the clothes, right? Not that I've ever done that, but I've heard stories, okay, about husbands who do that. When the, when the, when, when the plates are left on the table, when all they've got to do is go 15 feet to the sink, right? Or to, into the dishwasher. Uh, it, it's those times. When they call and say, I'm working late again, and, and I can't help it, it's, it's a job requirement, and all those things, they can build up and, and take away for at least moments or extended periods of time sometimes those feelings of love. But what's the command for us to still do? Love one another. And he's talking to husbands and wives, of course, and parents and children, but he's also just writing to Christians in general to love one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, love one another. We have a, a, a great unity in the body of Christ here at Lakeshore, but that doesn't mean everybody agrees all the time or everybody likes everything everybody else does all the time. That's far from the truth, okay? But what are we still commanded to do for each other? Love one another. Even when there are disagreements, even when there's feelings of disappointment or hurt or even anger, we're still commanded to do what? Love one another. You see, it's a command. It's not something he says, well, as long as you feel like it. You know, whenever it's convenient and feels good for you, I want you to do this. That's not what he's saying. He's commanding that we love one another. And the truth is, this is something that has been God's will and God's intent all along. A little earlier in this letter, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, he says something that, that seems a little odd at first. I want us to dig into that a little bit. 1 John 2, beginning with verse 7. Dear friends, he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had from the beginning. And then he goes on to say, this old command is the message you have heard. Yet, he says, I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He's talking about the command to love. So if he says it's an old command and you've had it from the beginning, then how could it possibly be a new command at the same time? I mean, you've had this command the whole time. Love one another. Love God, love others, right? Isn't that just all throughout the Old Testament law. So why does he take something that is so old and it's been there the whole time and now say, I'm writing to you a new command that you 
haven't had before when they've had that old one the whole time. And he, he helps us make the connection there when he says, its truth is seen in him and in you. He's saying this command is made new by what God has done in Christ and what Christ has done in you. It gives new meaning and purpose and understanding of a very old command. Now that we've seen and experienced Jesus in our lives. Remember, he's writing to Christians, people who already know Jesus as Lord and Savior, already know the good news of the gospel, already know about the death, burial, and resurrection. They know about the cross. They know about the suffering. They know about the gift God has given. They know all of that already. And he's saying, because you now know and have experienced that, now you know better what it means to love. To love God and to love others. This old command now has clarity that it's never had before. It's a new command in that sense. He says, its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Jesus said, what about himself? I am the light of the world. You see, the light that exposes and reveals and teaches us all that we need to know has come in Jesus. And that's how we can now know and understand in a new way what it means for God to love us and how we need to love each other. Now we understand it in the light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. This command has been around forever. But this command is more clearly seen and understood in Jesus than in any other way it's ever been communicated before. In the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 6, remember, I just read this passage with with baby dedications here at the Antioch campus. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. What he's saying there is, Everything about your life starts with loving God. If you're going to live life the way God wants you to live it, it all starts with making the decision to love God the way he wants you to love him. And that sets the standard for everything else in your lives. For how you're going to do business, for how you're going to interact with friends and enemies, with how you're going to interact with your family, with how you're going to uh, uh, look at education or careers, everything in your life, the foundation of it all is what comes first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. It starts there. And he's saying, all right, here's the way children were raised in the promised land when they moved there and the way they started their lives there brand new here's the way they raised their children every day they heard this they heard it said but the goal was not just for them to hear it said the goal was for them to see it lived out in the lives of mom and dad right love the lord your god with all your heart soul and strength your minds Put it all into loving God. It doesn't mean you don't do anything else. It means everything else you do is driven by your love for God. Right? 
So they grew up hearing this, being taught this their whole lives. But the problem was, the problem was they had never really, they had experienced great things from God. God did great works and great miracles, but they hadn't seen the cross yet. They hadn't seen the sacrifice, the the elaborate plan, the audacious plan God had to redeem us back from our sin. They had not seen all of that played out yet. Now we're on the other side of that as God's children, and we see God's audacious love that formulated this plan that all along he had in place to bring us a Savior through his son Jesus. We ought to understand better than any of those people that had this teaching their whole lives. We ought to be able now to see and clearly understand what it means to love God and to love others. Remember in Jesus' ministry in Matthew 22, they had been impressed with Jesus and how he answered people's questions and his teachings and all of that. But there were some lawyers in the audience when Jesus was doing some of his teaching in Matthew 22, verse 36. They, they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, some of the scriptures indicate that oftentimes these lawyers were asking these questions to try to trip Jesus up, to get him to say something wrong, get him to make a mistake. But I want to cut them a little slack, too. Maybe they did honestly want to know what this amazing teacher had to say about this. And how does Jesus answer that? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So where does he start? What's the foundation for everything else? Loving God this way, okay? But then he adds something to it that wasn't as clearly delineated in the Old Testament as much. It was there, but it wasn't the one they emphasized as much. A second like it is love your neighbor as yourself. See, what they weren't doing was putting that on the same level and their understanding of the law as loving God they were putting loving God as more important than loving your neighbor but here's what Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments when he says the second is like it he means like it in importance so he's saying loving God is the most important thing But you have to understand the connection between loving God and what else? Loving your neighbor. (laughs) In God's eyes, those have equal importance. And even today we struggle with keeping those two things balanced, don't we? It's easier to say I love God without having to choose to love certain other people, isn't it? Don't punch anybody. Don't call out any names, right? We all know there's certain people that are harder for us to love. And maybe we're one of those people for somebody else, right? We're one of those people that for them, we're hard for them to love like this. You wouldn't think that of yourself, but I can clue you in later if you want to talk, okay? You see, for some people, all of us can be at times hard to love. But he's saying loving God and loving others aren't two different things where you can categorize them at different levels. You've got to bring those up to the same level. 
And that's why they went on to ask, well, who's my neighbor, right? They wanted to get clarification. They wanted to make sure they could uh, excuse some of the stuff to where they didn't want to love certain people who weren't doing things the way they wanted them to. I don't have to love those people, right? At least not as much as I love others. And he eliminates that possibility by saying anybody, anybody you need, anybody that you can help, that's your neighbor. So he says, all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. So that's, that's the first C we need to understand, and that is the command to love. It is a command. The second one is the connection to God with this love. Remember, he says, dear friends, let us love one another. And then he gives us this. For love comes from where? God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Our world has been struggling the whole time now. From the time of Cain and Abel, where a brother kills another brother, right? All the way through history, we've been struggling with this idea of loving one another. Even when people aren't lovely to us. Even when we don't feel emotionally loved toward them. We've been struggling with that the whole time. And, and governments throughout the ages have tried to legislate and organize and dictate things to cause people to have to, to get along with each other. Right? We, we formulate peace treaties and we, we have these accords that we agree to and we have, we have these laws to get people not to do bad things to each other. Right? Uh, believe it or not, it's against the law to murder somebody. Did you know that? That ought to stop it, right? We made it against the law so people should just quit murdering each other. But just this past week, right over here in the parking lot across from the street, two people shot and killed each other. But we got a law that says don't do that. I know, let's take all the guns away. That'll stop it. That's what we did with drugs, right? We made those against the law. Didn't that stop drug abuse? No, you know why? Because it's a matter of a heart relationship with God. That's what it is. And until we human beings confess our sin problem and our need for a connection to and relationship with God, no law in the world will stop this stuff that's going on where we don't love each other like we need to love each other. We can't do it without being right with God. We can't. We don't have the ability, the capability to do it without a right relationship with God. Oh, we can force people to follow some rules when they're being watched and when we have control. But when they're not being watched and we don't have control, can we make them do it then? No, we can't. Not unless their heart is where it needs to be, where they're choosing to do that. Because love is a choice where you decide to love people. It's a free will choice that all of us have to make. And the only thing that will control that choice and send it in the direction it needs to go is when we love God first the way we're supposed to love God. And in any culture where we keep trying to get God out of it and still try to make people love each other, we are beating our heads against a wall that we will never break through, ever. That's the truth. And the fact is, in this world, there will always be people who aren't loving God 
And because they're not loving God, they're not going to be able to have the ability to love others the way they need to. And because of that, we're always going to have sin and failure and heartache and pain and destruction. And Jesus said in this world, you're always going to have some of that. Because we're all sinners. And the only thing that can solve that sin problem is God and our relationship with him and his love for us. That's the only thing that can solve it. So, we are created in the very image of God. If God is love, listen to what it says in Genesis 1.27. Remember creation? God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're created in the very image of God. And if God is love, then when are we at our best? When we are living out our connection to God. That's when we can really love the way God created us to love. And when you get disconnected from God, what happens to that ability to love like that? It gets messed up. It gets confused. By the way, on a side note, this is not the sermon today, but he said, we're created in the image of God. He said male and female, he created them. He created how many genders? Two, only two. Guess what science just came out with a report, reported in the Wall Street Journal? Science indicates that there are only two actual genders. Can you believe that? I'm so glad they did that study and figured that out. And the truth is, it sounds funny, but people are confused even about that today. You see how disconnection from God gets us totally confused? They're talking about things like a, a gender spectrum now, and you might fall somewhere along the line on that gender spectrum, right? There is no gender spectrum scientifically, biologically. There is not. He created us male and female. Now, you may be struggling with that, but that's how God created us. And that's the reality that we need to start being truthful about and dealing with in the right way. We're connected to God. God created us a certain way. And we know love because of God's love for us. And when we get disconnected from God, who is love, even though we're created in his image, anything we do to get away from the image of God as he created us confuses us and hurts us and causes pain and heartache in our lives. That's the way it works. Because we're created in his image to be in relationship with him. And he is love. That leads to the third thing. And that is the case for love. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love for, uh, among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. I love that statement. He's just direct. Okay, this is love, guys. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This eliminates every excuse we have for not loving each other. Because this is what love is. God made a choice to send his son Jesus to pay a price for us that we couldn't pay ourselves. He chose to do that. Why? Because he's love and he loves us created in his image. And that's what motivated him to do it. So love is a choice that God made. Because here's what you need to know. God didn't feel emotionally good about watching his son Jesus bleed and die on the cross for us. That didn't bring him good feelings. For God to do that, for God's Son to do that for us. That was the hardest choice that could be made. But that's what love is. And that's who God is. He is love. He is the highest and holiest of love, agape, audacious, agape love, that would cause him to make the choice 
to have his son come and make that atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning means to pay the debt that was owed because of our sin. He didn't owe that debt. We did. And he made the choice to pay that for us. That's how we know what love is. We can talk about the sappy emotional stuff all we want to. But here's how we know what love is. It called for the greatest sacrifice that could be made. And in that love, he was willing to make it. That's what love is. That's what agape love is. Audacious agape love is willing to sacrifice like that. Earlier in 1 John 3, 16, he said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, but he connects it with something. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Remember the two greatest commandments? Love God. Yeah, right. We got that one. All right. We love God. But what does he say that love should cause us to do? Love others. And how do we love others? He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to do what? Lay down our lives. For our brothers and sisters. That's what love is. That's how we know what love is. It's easy to talk about loving others. But he says love does certain things. And one of the things love does. Is it lays down its life. For others. It's never going to be selfish. It's never going to be all about you. Or all about me. That's not agape love. That's not audacious love. The love God has for us didn't do that. And if we want to know what love is, we have to learn to love like that. That leads to the fourth C. And that's the conclusion for us that we need to really get into our minds and our hearts today. Look at verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, he uses that term again. I love it. Dear friends, since God so loved us. All right, now we know what love is. We've seen God live it out for us. We've seen him do what it says love will do. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, here's what he says. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. You've got to catch the connection here, all right? I want to help you. Let's, let's listen together. He says, God lives in us. Okay, so he's talking to Christians. When we came to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he says we're baptized into Christ. He gives us two things, the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? So as followers of Christ, who do we have in us? God. God's in us and his spirit all the time. That's bigger than you think, okay? Think about that. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whatever you're dealing with, you have God himself in you, with you all the time. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, nothing can separate you from my love. All of those promises are there with God in us all the time, okay? So he said, here's what he says. Listen, if we love one another, God lives in us. So what's an indication that God lives in us? We'll be able to do what? love each other the way we're supposed to people always want to say oh I know I've got the spirit in me because I can speak in tongues or I can do this or I can do that you know what John says is the evidence that God lives in you your ability to do what love others the way God loves you that's the evidence you've got God in you you remember the fruit of the spirit in Galatians the fruit of the spirit is what's the first one love you see the spirit empowers us, enables us to love like God loves. That's why we can't legislate this. 
We can't make laws that make it happen. Because it's only by the Spirit of God that people can love like God loves. And only the people who have God in them are able to love like this. Now, he doesn't stop there. Listen, he says, God's love is made complete in us. God's love has a purpose. It's not just for us. That word complete means it makes it whole. It brings it to its desired purpose. God's love is never fulfilling its desired purpose until not only do we know it, but what are we able to do with it? Love others. That's what makes God's love complete, perfect, fulfilling its purpose. God loves us with the purpose of us being empowered and enabled to love others the way he loves us. You see, we all just want God's love, right? I want God's love. I want God to love me and bless me and take care of me and me, me, me. But the purpose of God's love is to take care of you so that you can do what? Love others the way he loves you. That brings God's love to a completed state in your life and in my life when we can love others the way he loves us. But listen to what he said in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. You know what else completes that purpose? When we start loving others, where does that point people? Who do they start seeing in us? God in us. You know how God wants to be made known to this community? To the community wherever you are listening today? You know how God wants to be made known? Through his people loving others. Loving each other and loving others. Now that opens up doors to teach and instruct and right, do all those things. But it begins with revealing God to them by our love. That's where it starts. In John 13, verse 34, it says this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you do what? Love one another. The evidence that you are truly a disciple of Christ is not how much scripture you know or how many services you attend or how many things you work in and, and volunteer for at the church. All of those things should be products of the thing that does show that you are a disciple of Jesus. The thing that shows you're a disciple of Jesus is if you love like God loves that's the irrefutable evidence that you are a child of God. You're in his kingdom. He is in you, and you are in him. You see, when you're in him and you love him like that, and you love others like that, then here's what happens. It changes how you live your life. You look at God's commandments now and the rest of God's teachings, and you welcome them into your life. Why? Because you know how much God loves you. Those teachings are welcome into your life now because you value his love for you. And so you will not only listen to them, you will apply them to your life because they know they're, you know they're coming from love. And here's the thing. As you apply those teachings to your lives, it transforms your life and it enables you to be equipped to love others in the right way so that God is honored in the way that you're loving others. Here's the thing. Loving others doesn't mean condoning everything they do. It doesn't mean accepting everything is okay in their lives. That's not what it means to love. Do you think God loves us that way? Oh, I don't care what you do. I just love you anyway. Is that agape love? No. Agape love seeks what's best for the other person. We know 
in God's word, certain things are not good for us. They're not healthy for us. They're not going to bless us or bless others. So if we cherish God's love in our lives, we know he's teaching us not to do certain things. Why? Because he loves us enough to want what's best for us. And then when we love others that way, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to just smooth over things in their lives that are going to bring hurt and pain and destruction to them or to others. We're going to love them enough to, in love, teach them the truth about those things according to God's word. That's what it means to love like God. You care enough about people to teach them the truth, but not out of anger and not out of trying to to make them be what you are, but out of a desire for them to have the blessings God wants for them and their lives. You're doing it because you love them so much you want them to be blessed by God. Maybe there's somebody listening today who needs to come under an understanding and an acceptance of the audacious love God has for you today. So many people have lived life on this earth thinking God is out to get them. God somehow is mad at them. Friends, God loves you with an audacious love. And this is how you know it. Jesus Christ came and died for you. There's no greater love than that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the love that you have not just told us about, not just had it written down for us in your word, but God, you've demonstrated in audacious ways how you love us. First, we just want to thank you for loving us like that. But Father, then we want to be able to grow in our ability to love others like that. And we know we can only do that if we keep that relationship with you right in our lives. Help us to recommit ourselves to that walk with you that you want us to have. But Father, if there's anybody today who has finally been touched by the love that you have for them like they never understood before, I pray that today they would come into that relationship of love with you through your son Jesus and what he did on the cross. May they be able to take that step so that they can experience all the blessings you want them to have in their lives because you love them so much. You will let your son pay that price. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.